Updates from both local and international football. Good morning, WA. My name is Sean Kelly and I'm with you for the next two hours with the World Football Programme. Uh, big thanks to Frank and Jerry with their Celtic ramblings. Um, great uh, following those two boys. Terrific set of fellas they are. And in two hours, we will have the jazz show. Uh, again, uh, a niche market, but that's what this radio station is all about. Um, in the studio with me today is the wonderful Lou Prospero. Good morning, Lou. How are you? Good morning, Sean. Great to be back. And I'd like to thank... Uh Hugh Best to come on the interchange bench for me. Well, um, there was some family things we had to go through, so uh, big thank you to Hugh Best. It's yeah. interesting uh, being a former referee colleague, he comes off the bench to fill in for me. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as I said on the day, when only the best will do. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, he's a terrific fella. And, yeah, even though he's, he's a former referee, you still like him. So. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be like that. <laughs> oh, look, I'm a football player. I can't help it, you know. I'll, I'll Hold grudges. And, I'll sing and I'll shout and I will abuse the referee, as they say in the shed. <laughs> um, on today's show, we, we've got a, a good show on today. We've, we're going to speak with Jacob Burns. He's the football manager at Perth Glory about the the hub. We'll talk to him about the building for next season. There's some new players that have been signed and some good youth players that are coming through, so we need to see where, where we go. Um, and the Asian Champions League hub, that's another interesting chat we can have with him. Um, so there's a few bits going on there in the in the glory scape, if you like. Um, then we're going to follow up with Rene de Koenig, who um, is a Hall of Fame member um, in the Hall of Champions, um, all-round good guy, played for one club for 17 years. So we'll talk to him about his 17 years with that club and how they climbed the ladder to success and still have a, a very unique record in WA history. Um, then following up, another Hall of Famer, 
Um, Eddie Lenny, Order of Australia medal, um, will be brilliant. Um, we'll talk to him about um, where he's been, what he's doing and where he's going and we'll talk to him about the Women's World Cup and some other football-related things. Um, and then we'll follow up the end of the show with um, Thomas Richards, who is the coach of the WNPL side Fremantle um, United. And um, they're new to the, the WNPL, been a, a powerhouse in the state league for women, but the step up to um, WNPL has seemed to have affected them. And, you know, they've got some great players in there like Tash Rigby, but um, they've been a bit unlucky. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, of course it does. You've got a good squad and it just um, doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, look, and and that's the whole thing. When you've got a blend of players, you've got to look at what's going on. Um, I believe last season they had a very successful formula with the the team structure, um, the formations that they played. They seem to have gone away from that this year. So we'll we'll talk to um, Thomas about that and see where where he thinks he needs to tweak things. But I think it's just interesting that, you know, a side that was really good in the state league steps up into the WNPL and, and finds it different. Yeah, and it's, it is. It's totally yeah, different. It is completely different. Yeah. All right. Um, in local news, of course, our Perth Glory lost 5-3 the other night. Um, and I don't know what platforms people are watching it on. Um I watched a, a very small snippet on the on the internet, which was a mini match. Um, from what I saw of it, I think two of the goals we were a bit unfortunate in. Um, it's quite funny. Their penalty was, yeah, I'm not saying it wasn't a penalty, but then at the other end, I think the air bloke had about three stabs at ours before the whistle blew. But you know, you might have a different view of it, Lou. Oh, look, you know, it's all, and, and you know, people also. Haven't mentioned that uh, Liam Reddy actually saved the penalty. He so, did, yes. Um, I saw there was a bit of uh, talk about him on the uh, internet this week, um, yeah. saying he's, you know, had his day. But um, I think this is a little bit unfair. I mean, he was left open a few times at the back there, so I know he's the last line of defence. But I wouldn't say that you know every goal that went past him was his fault. No, no, and look, the thing is that he is, he is the very last man and, and the ultimate test for a goalkeeper is a penalty because that is mano a mano and he's come up good against Adelaide a number of times but not just Adelaide, other clubs and, you know, people say he's, he's had his day, he hasn't. Um, as far as a goalkeeper goes, he's um, coming into his prime. When you look at some of the best goalkeepers in the world who've gone on into their In the 40s, 40s yeah. Yeah, I mean, George Best, uh, not George Best, um, Peter Shilton. Peter Shilton, yeah. He was 16 when he started in the top league in, I think, 45 when he retired, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, Pat just Jennings. Think of the England World Cup keeper. Um, Gordon Banks. Gordon Banks. He, um, one eye, 50, and still playing in America. Um, you know, so... Dino Zoff. Dino Zoff played at the top levels well into his 40s, uh, a national side at 40s. So, you know, there's... Captain of Italy as well. Yeah, Fabian Bartes. There's loads of them. I mean, you just go through the goalkeepers that really around about that age. That, that's when a goalkeeper and his experience shows because they, they know what's going to happen next. They're reading the game before it's happened. So what are you saying? You don't hire a goalkeeper until he's mid-30s? No, no, no. <laughs> I think you get a 16-year-old Peter Shilton and keep him, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's quite interesting when, when you go through that yeah, um, and look at it. I think, you know, to say he's had his days is, is wrong. 
judge the man on his results. When he when he's been asked to stand up and be counted, he does it. Yeah. Yeah. And what about Jonesy? That um, Brad Jones. Yeah, Brad. Yeah. Where, where's he now? Uh, testing my knowledge now. Because he'll, he'll be in his mid thirties now. I mean, he's still got yeah. some time to give. Actually, absolutely, but, he has. But I don't see him part of the national squad anymore. No. No, I don't either. We'll have to have a look and see where he is. Maybe someone out there who follows the goalkeepers and Australians abroad will text me in the answer and save me having to look it up whilst I'm doing other things on the deck here. Um, all right, so in other news, obviously we lost to Wellington. Before that, the the hub is, is tricky. Dane Ingham is becoming a bit of a star. I'll talk to... Um, yeah, two games, two goals. He yeah. didn't score on the weekend, but no, yeah. no. But he was—he's been in the the player of the week um, stats. So you know, kudos to the young man. He's been given an opportunity. He's taking it. Um, Adelaide had a large number of youth players that had stepped up into their first team. Yeah, and you know, there's lots of talk about that. And again, we'll talk to Jacob about that because the, the Glory have a very good academy, but we don't seem to have that many players step up through the academy into the first team. Just see, looking at Brad Jones, uh, he's actually 38. Yeah. And he's playing for Al Nassar. Yeah. So he's in the Middle East. Yeah, absolutely. So there you go. He's at uh, 38. He's just in his prime as a goalkeeper. Um, EPL's all wound up. Um, so that's all done. Um, West Ham managed to stay up. Villa didn't. So, you know. Don and I are happy anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because both of them have got the exactly same colour strips. Well, no, Villa actually did stay up, didn't they? The last game of the yeah, season. Yeah, Villa did stay that's up. Right. They yeah. stayed up with the draw. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that's both sides were playing for that draw, really. It was a very uninspiring game. Um, in sad news, um, Rod Banjack, who we all know passed away um, just not too long ago, is... Um, Funerals on Monday. Funerals on Monday. Um, Caracatta. Um, all the details are on the internet if anyone wants to, to have a look and, and anyone wants to go and pay their respects to him. Um, there is a funeral service and then there is a, a burial at Caracatta. So um, if you have any intent of going, please do because uh, Rod was a great man and, and a great friend and, and sorely missed. Yeah, I mean, it was a great uh, dedication from uh, Bobby Despotowski on this program last week yeah. uh, speaking about Rod, so, um, you know, people who knew him obviously uh, had high regards for the man. Yeah, oh, look, everyone who knows him has at one stage or other disagreed with him, but no one disliked him. <laughs> that's that's the mark of the man. You know, you could have a full-blown argument with him and still not dislike him, and that's, um, I think that's a great legacy to leave. But, yeah, it's very, very sad for the Banjack family and, and for the football family. Um. And yeah, we're just waiting now for the for the Glory ACL pod uh, the hub to be announced. I think it's in Japan, but again, we'll we'll chase up Jacob on those. We'll go to some messages, and we'll be back after these with Jacob Burns of Perth Glory. Oh, give me land, lots of land under starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Lost West Fencing and Royal Triad. Are you looking to build or replace your gates or fencing? The OzWest team can offer four generations of advice, materials and kit assemblies for your unique fence and gate project. We specialise in colour bond, aluminium, steel and timber gates. Check out our galleries at auswestfencing.com.au That's A-U-S-W-E-S-T fencing.com.au 
better strata management? Put Prosperity Strata Management at the top of your list. We provide a flat competitive fee with no extra or hidden charges. We provide value for money repairs with contractor prices reviewed regularly. And we provide prompt professional service with 30 years experience, which is why our clients recommend us. Your property is our concern. See prosperitystratamanagement.com.au Station Sponsor. Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. There we go. Prosperity Management. Sounds like a good company to be involved with, Lou. Yeah, Prosperity Strata Management. The business continues to grow, providing the uh, excellent service that we do. So, And we appreciate appreciate your support. Um, I love supporting football. Yeah, and we all support football. And I'm a fully paid up member of the Glory. And our next guest is the football manager at Glory, Jacob Burns. Jacob, good morning. How are you? Morning, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for for coming on. Um, Very interesting time post-corona. We've got a, a team competing on the other side of the country in a hub. How's that going for you, managing that from a distance yeah uh yeah very strange time um but yeah all is going well um you know obviously we we missed uh we, we have missed a lot of football you know some four months before the restart or reboot of the hub and the league over here in, in sydney um but look the guys are doing great um it's very unusual you know to be for an extended period of time and to be living out of a hotel and and uh, training and hubbing here and um, really being confined to um, the hub bubble, if you like, where we can only go to training, return back to the hotel and to the stadium for games and back to the hotel. So, um, you know, just challenging times, but um, the guys have been great. You know, there's been a hell of a lot of sacrifices made yeah. um, from the players and staff, and, and they're doing really well. So as far as staff goes, you're Sydney-based yourself as well? Yep, yep. There's um, probably eight of us over here um, when you talk about, uh, you know, physios and strength and conditioning coaches yep. and uh, head coach and assistant, yeah. So there's, um, you know, fair, the normal support staff when we travel for any any uh, away game. Um, and we've got 23 players over here. So um, it's a competitive hub, um, you know, a lot to work on. But the guys, you know, they're uh, doing what they love to do. We're all doing what we love to do. Yeah, um, that is, you know, being involved in football and playing football. So, when you go without for some time, I think our last game was in in March. Um, you know, we're we're thankful that um, we're in a position uh, to finish the league off, and uh, we want to finish as high as we can, and we obviously want to be challenging for for more silverware. Yeah. So how how is it? Um, some players, uh, Jacob, have um, there's been a disruption with the squad. Some players. Uh, decided not to play. Some had come in. Uh, that must have caused a bit of disruption in gelling the team as they're playing as well. Yeah, I think it's you know, a unique time, you know, when we've got to respect and understand every individual's choice in and amongst them. But, you know, we had a couple of guys return back, um, you know, to Europe and Asia and, and Greg and Kim. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's one of these times where you've got to, um, respect everyone's choice in, um, you know, in, in the way they, they want to move forward. Um, you know, first and foremost, uh, I think, uh, you know, their families and, and their health and well-being is, is, 
is of the utmost importance. Yeah. But obviously coinciding that with that was the bigger picture of, um, you know, the broadcast deal and um, and the the PFA and, and, and trying to, to nut out a, an agreement where a lot of the players are sacrificing a significant amount of money financially to finish the league off. Yeah. So uh, there were, you know, quite a few challenges, but... Um, you know, we made it very clear that that everyone that did put up their hand and was, uh, you know, boarding the plane to come over here, um, we're doing it for all the football reasons and wanted to be a big part of this. So I suppose when you look at it, you yourself and, and a number of the players, I know um, Reddy is another huge family man, um, very dedicated to your children. Um, How is that going? Obviously, smashing Skype or something similar to to keep contact with the family. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think, um, you know, in the world that we're in now, you can, you know, FaceTime and Skype and, um, and it helps a lot to have that regular contact and seeing your kids or your wife or partners and, um, all the players and staff that, um, are doing that regularly. Um, and we're just trying to be as creative. The hotel here has been fantastic. Um, in, you know, trying to accommodate that, you know, the players have a, a social room with their table tennis and, and cards and board games and playstations and things into to obviously help in the downtime when we're not training on the field and we're not uh, playing the game. Um, and they, you know, they're doing you know everything they can, um, you know, in, in mixing up uh, how we can do it. You know, we had a barbecue yesterday just to change the, the vibe up, and they changed um, you know our kind of scenery and and it's just keeping things fresh. And yeah. these are the kind of creative things I think you have to work through. Um, when you're in a hub for a significant amount of time um, preparing for games. And also good practice for the future because I believe the ACL are looking at a hub in Japan. Yep. Yeah, you're right. Um, Yeah, that's looking like October time, which is something that we're extremely excited about as a club. Um, You know, off the back of our success last year, um, earning the right to to compete in the pinnacle of, of Asian football. Um, we got a little taste of it against FC Tokyo, and unfortunately, that was pretty much um, when COVID had hit and, and everything got shut down. So we're looking forward to it, um, to, to obviously, you know, uh, finishing off what we started, pretty much what we're doing here. Um, first and foremost, it's a domestic league. You know, the, the, as the Premier's from last year, we, we now have an opportunity to, to go through the finals and, and hopefully win the GF, and that's at the forefront of our mind. And then... Um, if the hub for the Asian Champions gets up and running, then our focus will quickly move, which it already, you know, planning's already in place to be able and to be ready uh, for that. And what about the chances of having some games in Perth, given that, you know, we've been so good containing COVID? Is there any chance of that yeah. happening? Yeah, discussions. Um, I know there were some initial discussions of um, putting up our hand and being able to host the hub. Um, I think the challenge is, is, is the stadia. You know, we don't have that many stadiums to be playing out of. I think that that was one of the big challenges. Yeah. Um, but yeah, surely from the, from a safety uh, point of view and, and COVID numbers, um, you know, having teams come in to, uh, you know, pretty much a very safe state and, and country um, would have been a big plus. Um, but we'll wait and see. I know that the, uh, the other group, two groups um, that were announced last week, um, in Malaysia, I think uh, our groups will follow suit and uh, look to hub and play out play out our uh, our, our group stages and, and the complete tournament um, yeah. out of Malaysia at the minute. 
How's it working in Sydney, um, Jacob? Is it? Are you going from the hotel to the game and um, to training and back to the hotel? You, you can't move out out and about around the streets. Is that that's the restriction there at the yeah. moment? Yeah, yeah, correct. Uh, yeah, we're all adhering to uh, protocols, which you've seen across um, the various other sports as well. Um, yeah, all teams that are here in Sydney, are, you know, uh, are in the hotel. Um, we're mixing up. We're, we're fortunate here. We're out at Homebush in Olympic Park, uh, where it's very quiet, to be honest. Um, but our training fields are walking distance, which is great. Uh, that makes it easier. We've got a few sessions where we, um, we're taking them to other venues, uh, and that mixes things up. And, and we're therefore we're on a coach, and we're out to the training venue and back, and it's the same game day. Yeah. The coach picks us up, and we go into a controlled zone, and um, and everyone's in that bubble, if you like. Uh, all players and staff are in that bubble where, um, yeah, we can't see family and friends and, and people outside. We can't be going to cafes and we can't be going to restaurants. Um, yeah, and you know, I, I don't think people are aware of those together. those sacrifices that you, you make just to, to, to bring us the, the, the entertainment of the game. Um, just casting your mind back to the, the other night we played Adelaide, one of the commentaries that came across very strong was the amount of homegrown players that Adelaide were playing that had come through at their academy. Now, yep. Glory have a very, very good academy um, and Dane Ingham is doing a terrific job at the moment. But... Yep. Do you see that that would be something you'd like to replicate, that we had um, players of that quality coming through and were able to compete in, in the A-League side? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, Stevie, Richie Garcia, Steve McGarry and Terry McFlynn are doing um, an extraordinary job in our academy space. And, um, you know, some of these, the hard work that goes in, um, it, you know, the, you don't see the fruition of... of, of uh, the amount of work going into these young guys for, yeah. you know, sometimes five to, to ten years. You know, we started this journey. I know we've had the academy for, for some six or seven years, but, yeah. um, you know, what they're doing now, I know that the, the young guys are training four or five times a week. They've got athletic development. We'll probably see the full fruition and all that work going in probably the next three to five years yeah. of the amount of contact and the amount of hours that are going into them kids. But we have some very talented players come through. A lot of these young guys um, have earned scholarships in Josh Rollins and Daniel Walsh and represented the young national teams. Yeah, um, they've all been up training. They've played, you know, some of them are featured against Chelsea and Man U, and um, they'll continue to grow. Um, we had five or six of them before we come over to the hub, uh, vying for positions over here. We've got young Cameron Cook yep. uh, with us here in camp, who's a scholarship player. Um, and yeah, I would like to think that. Um, I think that what every club um, should aspire to be doing is if you've got a strong academy and a youth space and yeah. a clear pathway from, from, for your young WA players to come through, um, it always helps, you know, and I think um, we will see that coming um, in years to come. I hope so. I think the look, the, the glory is the business and I think, you know, when you, you invest an awful lot of money in the academy and the coaching and, and the time in those, those kids – do you think that having a transfer market within Australia would allow us to to then at least see them fund the, these arrangements, and then the the better kids, as you, as you have done with a number of them, would would pick up contracts in Europe for for better deals? But within the yeah. local game, we we released a lot of good players from the Glory program who end up playing for for Sydney and Queensland and whatever, um, yeah. for no for no reward, and and you know. 
the Perth Glory, the, the business entity, has invested a large amount of money in their development for no reward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, it's, it's very complex. You know, I think that the landscape um, in Australia, that would be, you know, and that is something that, uh, you know, heavily discussed, transfers, a transfer market domestically, uh, which we haven't had, which I, I think, you know, um, would have to happen. That yep. would coincide with more teams um, coming into the league, more, and there's, there, there becomes more opportunity for, for players, bigger squads and more opportunities. For, for players to be able to, you know, stay in it. Um, uh, every, there's no real clear pathway, you know, no. to, to, for, for young kids. You know, some kids, you know, for whatever reason, you know, what what sometimes happens is, you know, you have a really talented young kid coming through and he's up against, you know, three or four um, plays in his position. So he doesn't get that opportunity necessarily at his homegrown club, but he does turn into a pro, maybe going overseas or maybe going to an interstate team. Yeah. Um, and, you, and you'd like to think that you've had a hand in their development and um, their quality as a player and, and it's, it's, you know, they but, have longevity in the game. I think that's under all that, we can ask for is people in clubs. And you want to be probably, I suppose, that coincides with the hours that's gone in for clubs to be compensated in there. Yeah, my, I, my big thing is I don't like, I don't really like the fact that players bump out before their time, I think there needs to be more um, done in the game to keep them in. You know, we Definitely. have a cutoff age at the moment at 20, and that's that's too young for me. Sometimes, you know, I've, I've you know played the game and and I've played alongside a lot of players, and they come through at different times. Some yes, kids, they do. Um, are mature and good enough at 15, 16. Others are in their you know early 20s, and um, to be trying to make that decision sometimes at 20, I think. Uh, too young, so there's a heavy push, and I believe that um, the federation will push that age out to 23, and I think that's a better age, a more suited age, where we can keep I agree. in that environment. Yeah, um, where you know we're making a really good call, and we can see you know um, at 21, 22, um, everything's coming together, and they don't bump out and play and drop down a tier or, or go on a journey where there is still a pathway for them to stay in the system. Yeah. Now, um, just changing tack a little, we'll go back a year ago. You were preparing for some games against Manchester United and Leeds. And I think Leeds uh, accounted as everybody's second English team just because of the amount of Australians that they had playing for them at the time, including yourself. Um, I'd like to think that their their game against Glory was the springboard they needed to, to get promotion <laughs> Win the league. this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, I think so. Uh, yeah, look, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you give them any tips, uh, Jacob, when they were here to win the league? Yeah, we'd like to say we played a big part in that, <laughs> but um, I, I think, uh, I think really, um, you know, obviously playing for the club, um, it's a club that you know deserves to be up in the top flight. Uh, we all know, you know, how how well they're supported um, and how many fantastic players that have come through the club, including. As you mentioned, many many Aussie guys. Were you gobsmacked, uh, Jacob, when they got rid of O'Leary? Given that he was, he had the boys there um, fourth on the league, and uh, then when he left, and it was just a slide from Terry league, league to league. You know, just completely, yeah, yeah. Uh, it just bamboozled me. I just didn't understand it. Yeah, it was a strange one. I think a strange one for for all us players too at the time because. Um, yeah, we're a very young, young group, um, you know, very confident in, in 
the way we were, we were we were going in the league and in the Champions League, and um, yeah, it was a strange one. And, and who knows, you know, in the business of football, sometimes there's um, extraordinary decisions made that that um, you know uh, affect the club. And, and unfortunately for Leeds at the time, it affected us um, in a negative way, and, and it did start our decline. Um, but it, you know, after a long sixteen-year wait, it's fantastic to to see uh, and speak to. You know, we we'll still keep in touch with many of the old uh, players, and there's still a number of um, staff still involved in the various mm. uh, parts of the club, and it's it's wonderful to see them back up. And and I really, I really, with with uh, their ownership and um, and their manager, I really fancy them to um, to do some good things up back up in the Premiership. Yeah, it's good looking back through the the 2001 roster they had. I mean, obviously the the, the two big Australians, the Duke and um, and Harry Kill, um, but there was Danny Milosevic there. There was or um, well, Danny Hay doesn't count. He's a he's a New Zealander, but he played his Australia <laughs> yourself. Um, Cansdale Sheriff, you know, there was there was a number of good um, Australian um, talents out there. Um, just trying to think who else was out there at the time. But when you look at the action, yeah, the, I mean, the list goes even longer. Jamie McMaster, was yeah, there that's as right, well. Jamie. Yeah, um, later on, Paul Oakon came through. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, and then you, I mean, you had even our assistant coach Hayden Fox. There's a big affiliation with. I think what you know what happens a lot in football, in particular in in Europe and UK, um, you know, a player goes and does well. And, you know, we, we would have to thank Harry for for that because he opened up yeah. you know, many doors for, for young Australians coming through. And he did that for, for myself and for, for Dukes, um, where he went as a young guy. And, you know, the, the club go, well, hang on a sec. These, um, these Aussie boys can play. Yeah. We can see that in Harry. And then, so then what happens is, you know, the, the, the door is open or it's, half open and then, you know, we go over there and try and kick them doors down. I think you see that uh, a lot in um, in clubs and with managers that um, if they can see that it's, the, you know, that there's, there's good players coming out of a certain country or a certain place, um, they'll throw their back in behind it and, it, and that's what happened at Leeds, I think. But I was just looking, looking through the other people in that team, you know, there was, there, there was really a star-studied lineup. Nigel Martin in goal, you had Michael Jubry, Rio Ferdinand, Ian Hart, Jonathan Woodgate. Alan um, Smith. Lee Bowyer, Eric Backer, David Batty, um, Stephen McPhail. There's... It's a, it's a brilliant lineup, and you, you wonder how that ever failed. But I know, um, when, it all started to go the way of the pair and Venables came in and they sold Rio Ferdinand, sold Woodgate and then started selling all the the, the jewels off, including um, Harry and and Mark. So, um, you know, it's a tragic tale of woe. I think when you look at it, 16 years since they were in and probably 16 and a half since you were there. So, you know, again, yeah. you, you've played a, a huge part in both ends of their history. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. You're, it's... Uh... I think that it shows you, you know, um, the business of football. Um, yeah. That you know, you get the revenue that uh, is gained by being involved in in the Champions League and qualifying for the Champions League, and then as you rattled off a lot of the, the names there. I mean, I can remember Rio signing, and um, everyone was was thinking it was outrageous uh, the nineteen million pound or seventy million yeah. pound paid for the defender, but then we end up selling him for twenty seven million to to Manchester United, and. Now you look at some of the transfer numbers, but they're the kind of, I suppose, risk you take 
Um, and that's probably the fine line that a lot of big clubs uh, walk on, uh, walk that line when you know you're trying to invest in plays um, for that top top league and for the Champions League. And then, as you mentioned, when you don't qualify um, for that again um, in the following year, then it was a bit of a quick fire sale. And 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 many players, um, including myself, you know, after three seasons, were um, you know looking at other clubs. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, that, it, you know, it was a tough time and it's taken a long, long time for the club to recover. But, um, yeah, very, very happy that they have. And, um, I'm sure like, like being, like, uh, that is out there at the moment, there's, um, you know, a lot of players being talked about that, uh, they're trying to lock in for the yeah. premiership. So it's exciting time. All right, Jacob. Look, thank you very much for your time. Um, there's loads I could still talk about, Dan Petrescu and a few other things I'd love to t- have a chat with you about, but, um, Really thank you for your time this morning. Appreciate what you and the boys are doing over in the hub. It cannot be easy um, living a life of a hermit just just so you can do what you love. But uh, we do appreciate what you're doing. Thank you very much for being on. And let the boys know that he's, they, they continue to get the strong support back here at home. So just uh, tell them to keep their chin-ups. Okay. Thanks, Thanks Jacob. Bye-bye. Okay, Jacob Burns, life in the hub, not much fun. No, I mean, you know, to to go from a hotel room to the ground and then back to the hotel room, it must be very testing for them. It's uh, not an easy thing to – I mean, okay, they, they're doing something they love and, the, you know, a lot of people have lost work and what have you and, they, you know, they're doing what they want to do but – to be in that sort of circumstance mustn't be good at all no, for them. It shows the amount of sacrifice that players have to make, though, to to make their dream come true. And it's not just at the end. The, the fight to become a professional footballer is minute, minuscule degrees, but, you know, you've got to want and, and need that in your life to, to do up with the deprivation it takes to get there in the first place. And then once you're, you're made it to the professional footballer, hanging on to it is even harder. Absolutely. You know, it, Absolutely. It's, whilst, yes, some some people and Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo are making a fortune at it, but that didn't just happen. It wasn't easy for them. They, they have had to have sacrifice in their life as well. Yeah, and like yeah. you say, it's very hard to get there and it's even harder to stay there. I mean, how many players have come to the glory uh, through the um, the academies and only played for a season because they just, you know, didn't oh, submit not, their position? And not just glory, other, but other every other club as over, well. You know, I suppose one of the players who didn't mention was Robbie Fowler who was in that um, lead squad as well. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's players who've come for a season. Brian Dean didn't work out, went back. You know, they've been there and, and done everything. And, and you know, it's it's not an easy life. So no. that's it. Um, we're going to go to a break. We'll be back after that with uh, Rene DeConig, who um, is a member of the Hall of Fame. And, um, yeah, we'll speak to him about his time in the State League. So we're back after these. Gate and Fence Hardware WA is your hardware shop online. Find all the parts you need to fix, make and secure your gates and fences. Friendly staff and family offer advice to help your project along or order in your special part. Gate and Fence Hardware WA. Station sponsor.
Hi, I'm Louis Prospero, Chair of the Football Hall of Fame Western Australia. We are the first sporting Hall of Fame formed in Australia in 1996. The Hall of Fame recognises outstanding individuals in football in Western Australia. Join legends such as Sandra Brecknell, Julius Reed and Gareth Navin at our next Hall of Fame event to celebrate 25 years coming up in 2021. Find us on Facebook and on the web as the Football Hall of Fame Western Australia keep up to date with events and regular stories from our team of journalists and committee members. The Football Hall of Fame Western Australia, recognising the Western Australia football community. Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. Okay, there was a, a promo there for the Hall of Fame. Um, very professional little promo there. Yeah, it took a few takes, but we got there in the end, Sean. <laughs> no, it's good. Uh, you know, we don't celebrate our history enough, and I think we've got to be proud of our history. And uh, our next guest is a member of the Hall of Champions. No, Hall of Merit. Uh, Hall of Merit, sorry. Yeah, yes. there is a few halls, but he's yeah, in one of them. That's all that really matters. Yep. Um, so welcome to the show, Rene de Koenig. How are you? Yeah, hello. Uh, yeah, very well, thank you. Um, yeah, you had a wonderful history, 17 years with, with one club, um, starting as a 19-year-old in a Bayswater side that still holds a record for not losing a game for the entire season. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was some awesome times. We, um, we managed to get a, a team together. Um, from um, you know all, all over the place. Um, I think that well, Dave Harrison was the coach, and he brought a few play, players over from uh, Croatia. Um, there was a few players still left at base at the time, and myself and a few other flyers came in, and we, we got a team together that you know just uh, clicked. Bruno, you also had um, Basewater had an under eighteen side. Um, now you name if you name the players, they're the who's of who's was the the Naven twins, Alton D'Souza, Scott Racy. Um, they also were undefeated at that age group. Um, were you involved at that time? That was the early eighties, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, I was. Well, when we were in third division in um, eighty one, that's when we got the team together. Yeah. Um, they they came a little bit later, I think, um, probably about two or three years after that. Right. Um, but yeah, we we in eighty one we won the league, and the next year a lot of people don't remember the next year. Uh, that was third division the first the first year. The, the next year we were in second division, and we I think we only lost one game and drew two others and won the rest of them as well, and that got us into the uh, Premier League. Fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's quite an interesting um, thing. I mean, 22 wins, no no draws, no losses, 81 for 11 against. I think you were 19 points ahead of your your um, nearest rival at the end of the season. Um, and one of the, the key components to that playing group was a, a 19-year-old Rene, which um, I think back, <laughs> even back then people had you tagged for a star. Did you, did you feel the burden of that? Sorry, did I feel the burden of that expectation? Everyone knew you were. Oh, I, I had no idea at the time. I mean, I was, I was, I was very lucky to um, be picked up by them because 
I come over from Holland and, and um, I had no idea that soccer was actually being played here. <laughs> so I, I, I had a, a very good upbringing in Holland. You know, I was, I was coached really well. I, I lived across a, a, a big park where there was a big stadium of a main team in, in Nijmegen. And, um, you know, I started playing there. I got some really good coaching. So when, when we left, when we emigrated, I was 16 and I'd been through all the top teams yeah. in the, uh, in the age groups. Um, I came here, uh, lived in the hills. My, my parents had a cleaning business. So I was, I was helping them out on the weekends. Um, you know, didn't really play for six, six or seven months until I went to school to, to, to try and learn the English language. And there was a notice on the board there that um, there was a, um, a trial for schoolboys. So, you know, I, I, some of the boys knew that I, I played, some of my mates, and, and they said, really, you should go and have a go. So I went up to the, um, the school teacher, the sports teacher at, at, at lunchtime, and, um, you know, I wouldn't mind having a go sort of thing. And um, he happened to be Scott Denham, who was a very good player himself. Um, so he, he got me, he said, well, we'll better have a, have a, have a bit of a trial at lunchtime and, and see how you go. So, you know, I was pretty arrogant at the time. I knew I could play. So I said to him, yeah, don't worry. I'll show you how to play. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and he did. <laughs> and, and, and I did. And he, he could see straight away. I was good, you know, so we, we went over to the trial. Some of my mates sort of like came along as well, uh, because I went, they could come at the same time. So they got a day of school and, um, they put me on the striker that was already picked for the team and he never got a kick so they could see, um, you know, what, what I could do. And then Scott's uh, brother was also in the team so I, I managed to get into the schoolboys team and then got onto the, the Australian schoolboys team. And the, um, yeah, like I said, Scott's brother was, was also in the team and he said he got to sign this boy up. So that's how I got involved with Bayswater. Must have been a, a very challenging time for you as a 16-year-old um, who didn't speak the language to come to from a country which is, um, in Australian terms, tiny, where you had a number of big clubs. And, you know, we all know that yeah. the, the big uh, big Dutch clubs, you know, Ajax and Eindhoven and all of them, and they're all within a very short um, space of each other. And everywhere you went, football is the, the national religion and passion. And then you come out here to a country that is so massive um, and spread out. And yep. then the football was virtually non-existent. Well, our code of football, uh, and there was just nothing around. It must have been a, a massive change of, of perspective for you. Oh, it was because I can I can still remember saying goodbye to all my mates at, at the team. I still got the team photo hanging in my study, um, and I I had to walk home, which was a couple of kilometres. And I remember myself, you know, I was just crying to go home, and um, then to come over here, and I thought, oh, that's it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and like you said, you know, I I mean, most of those sort of guys were were my idols, you know. There was blokes like Ruth Kroll. Um, Johan Neskin, Johan Cruyff, oh. all those guys that, yeah. you know, they, they were fantastic players. They were. But, um, I was, I was very lucky that, you know, we, we were brought up just doing a lot of skills. Yeah. And that's what made me stand out here straight away. Yeah. And then joining, um, the club, 
what did that do for your social networking and and your assimilation into um, Australia? Yeah, well, that was um, that that made me realise that there was actually a few more clubs than I thought. Yeah, you know, and 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 yeah. So because, like I said, we were living in the hills, and uh, as soon as I realised, even though there was still no no real team in the hills at that time. Um, I got my car, so I got my, I got my license, so I could drive around and and started playing with Bayswater. Uh, made me see that you know that there are some um, good clubs, good coaches, and uh, Dave Harrison was just like a really a brilliant mentor for me, um, uh, you know. And he he molded the team, and we played a really good, exciting style of soccer uh, football, you know, the, a very attacking. We had some really good play, like Scott Denner. He was very quick up front. Yeah. We had Nick Dutchmevic, who was just a goal scorer. He just every time he touched the ball, it was a goal. Yeah, we blended really well. It was just like a really good mix of players. It was just amazing. You know, when you look back at it, you think, "Gee, we won every game." It's not easy to do, and no. we managed to score. No, we managed to score um, quite early on in the games a lot of the times. Um, you know, and take control like of it. Said, yeah, because, yeah had control of the games most most times. I think the closest we got was a two-one win over Perth City, who, en- who ended up uh, finishing second. Yeah, uh, it's quite all the other games. Yeah. It's quite interesting though when you you go through and you talk about the living in the hills, and you know, I came out here in '88 and lived in the foothills. Mm-hmm. And and people said, "What are you doing, living the way out there?" That it wasn't yeah. it wasn't like it is now, where it's just an extension of the metropolitan area. It was a, a lunch pack to go to to Calamunda or Les Murdy. Um and That's right. you know, uh, and people just don't get it. There, the freeway um, was uh, stopped. I can't remember where it stopped now, but it was Whitford's Way, and then there was nothing. And June Lup was just the golf course. No. The, yeah, it was a in very, a Wanneroo hospital on the council, that was it. It yeah. was all bush otherwise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it was a very different time because at those in those days you went and had a look around at all the ovals. People were kicking footies around, you know, and that was yeah. there was there was hardly ever a soccer ball. Mm. Uh, now you look and it's it's mainly young kids that are kicking the, the soccer ball around. Renee, were you always a defender? Was that a position that you felt comfortable uh, as a young boy, or were you midfield and up front at, at any time? No, I'm, I'm, I played one game up, one game up front, and that um, didn't really work out. So. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <But> no. <laughs> so no, no, I was I was a defender, um, mainly a sweeper, yeah. but. Um, I probably played half of my time in the midfield as well because yeah. I enjoyed that more. But whenever we got into trouble, I was pushed back to the back again. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, but I, I enjoyed playing as a sweeper because I, I, um, I could read the play really well and would push forward every time we got the ball. So I ended up playing almost um, just behind midfield. So, um, that's why I could play in midfield as well, you know. Which a lot of the times when I was picked in the state team and 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 other teams, I would I would always end up in midfield. Well, right. tell us about the state team because you were uh, chosen on twenty eight occasions, so that's no mean feat. I mean, that's quite a yeah, feather in your cap. Yeah, that's right. And and there's there's probably a lot more games that I played in because we went. Uh, I went on about four or five tours over to. Um, uh, Thailand, we played in the King's Cup. Uh, we went to Medan and Indonesia three or four occasions. And yeah. So we played 
a lot of games there as well, but a lot of the records, I think, have been lost. Okay. Um, so uh, I probably would have ended up playing a lot more games than yeah. what is actually put down. Being recorded. But, but, but it's quite interesting. I mean, we say 28 games, but there's there was a five-year gap where you weren't playing for the state team between 86 and 91. And then 91 yeah. being the year that you won the gold medal, you, you, you found your way back in, went to Indonesia, yeah. we came third in that, that um, tournament. Um, yeah. Was there any reason for the five-year hiatus? I mean, from what I've read about and seen, (laughs) yeah, your your form hadn't changed. You've always been a quality player. No, yeah. At that time, yeah, a new coach came in, and and, um, for some reason, he just liked different type of players. So I missed out. But then, when um, I think Eric Williams took over again, and Gary Meraki, they seemed to like my way of playing, and um, so I got back in got back into the, the team again. Yeah. Mm. No, look, it, it, it's great. And then, then in 91, you, you've culminated your career by by winning the gold medal. Um, from what I've seen, that's not an, a mean feat for someone who plays defender or where you playing midfield in that season. No, that's right. Yeah, it's it's because um, yeah, it there were some really good players at that time. The uh, Gary, Jerry Christie, the one the six and a yeah, yeah. Jerry Christie. Yeah, and then he he ended up being second. So I I I thought I had no chance. You know that that year of winning, I I didn't even. Um, I think we were, we were running late for the um, for the presentation because that that year it was done at Sterling Macedonia's ground yeah. before before the um, I think the uh, the Sonia Cup final. Yeah. Um. So it was done at the lunchtime, and. We got a phone call. Make my, my wife answered the phone and said, "Make sure he gets here because it's imperative that he gets here." I'm like, oh, all right, okay, we'll better go over then. So they 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 had done the voting already, some of it, and I was way behind, and um, Jerry was way in front. And then towards the end, I got quite a few votes, and um, the last round, Jerry was still in front. Um, and then all of a sudden they decided to, um, what they had done was they, that left one game out because we had a catch up game, um, midweek for some reason. One of the games couldn't be played. So, um, they brought that game up and I got three votes and I ended up beating him by one. So I won it. <laughs> so, which was it. And it was well deserved, um, to, uh, yeah. Renee. I, I, I mean, as being a referee at that time, uh, that was our job after the game is to do a 3-2-1 vote. And I, I did yeah. vote for you several times that year, I do recall. Um, but yeah, the thing is, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> no, but well deserved. I, I, it was something as a referee I didn't like doing, I, I've got to admit, because, you know, just as much as you are out there to, to do a job, so are we. So we're concentrating what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, and yeah. not, and then, you know, people come up and say, well, who's the best player? And what used to annoy me was that um, myself and the assistant referees, we used to, you know, go over what we saw during the course of the days. And inevitably, and history shows that most of the people who won the medal over the years were either... Um, the strikers or uh, maybe a midfielder. But it used to annoy yeah. me because knowing um, my son, um, uh, Carl, who used to play as a sweeper at the back when he was younger, and he used to say, Dad, you know, I, I don't score goals, this and that. And I used to say, well, it's just as important to stop goals as it is scoring them. So, <laughs> you know, 
um, and that's when you know things change for him. So, and and that's why I was particularly that year. I thought, well, you know, enough with the strikers. That, I mean, a lot of them used to just tap the ball in, and the midfielders yeah, and the yeah. defenders would stop the goals, work the <laughs> ball up to, up to the field, and give it to them on the yeah. plate. Sometimes, so yeah, you know, so that was. I was, um, I was yeah, I was lucky that year. I, I think I scored all the goals as well because I, like I said, before, you know, I used to push up and. Yeah, for corners. I was pretty fit, so I could get back in time. So yeah, um, especially with my head and um, yeah, and a lot with my left foot. And I keep telling to young kids when I see them now: always practice your left foot as much um, as you're right. You, know, yeah. you want to be able to. Yeah, I used to uh, be just as good with my left as my right. So yeah, but know, that's important in Europe, isn't it? That that they, they, they really distill yeah. that in you. Uh, then more so here that you you are required to to keep. Uh, just as strong with yeah. one foot and the other, isn't it? Yeah. In the early days, I had quite a few problems with my right groin. So right. I, I, you know, Dave Harrison never sort of like kept me out. He, he would put me at left back and, and, and I would get through the game just, just using my left foot. So, so that, that's what I'm saying. It's really important that and too many young kids still don't do that, you know, that you yeah. can kick with your left and your right. Absolutely. So going back to the... Sorry, going back to the fairest and best, you know, it's it's you might not be the best, but you got to be fair as well. And exactly um, <laughs> to me, I, I was one, I was probably one of the <laughs> most fairest players. I, I'm, you I mean, were yeah. too many people, and, and I got you were. Um, yeah, I think overall, I ended up only getting two yellow cards in my whole career. And I remember one of them, uh, and I've got to tell you, I was shocked because. <laughs> You were one of the players, and and I can say this quite sincerely, that would never talk back to the referee. Uh, right. You blow the whistle, you just get up and get back into position. And somebody, yeah. so, <laughs> I, I remember you getting a yellow card for dissent, and I thought that obviously is a, been a mistake because there was no way Renee would say anything to <laughs> no, a referee. No, no, no. So well, I, I, you who did that to me. Or no, it wasn't me. It was another referee. No, no okay. it wasn't me. I was on the line and I just thought, I, no. I remember, the, I remember the game. Yeah. I remember the game because somebody yelled out something, um, yes. you know, a yeah. swear word. And, yeah. and the referee turned around and he saw me and he booked me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was shocked. Yeah, so... so that was that was one of them. So. <laughs> As a defender, though, you you would have come up against some, some great strikers. I'm just trying to think of the people that were around that I knew at that time. Tom Beatty's. Um, and yeah. yeah, well, there's Tom Beatty's. There Bell there was time. Jimmy Proven, um, Andy Godfrey. Yeah, um, yeah there's, there's quite a few people that I could think of. Who was your t- toughest yeah. competitor? The best one I ever played against, probably up from oh, probably two or three of them, but. Kevin Elliott used to be yeah. really hard to mark. He was just um, playing you know, for Delis. He'd get the ball. He he had a really good turn on him. Very very he's a small fella, very strong in the air and quick. Uh, scored lots of goals. And then you know Bobby Dabsodowski. He was he was just like a freak. He could score from anywhere. Yeah. And you 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 know you mark him out of the game, he'd get one one chance and he'd score. So uh, th- those two probably stood out. And uh, Renee. I've always been puzzled in the quality of player that you were. That you never uh, went to the NSL back in the day. What? Why was that? Was it not your ambition to do that? I had my chances to go over, especially to Adelaide City, because you played um, against them. Yeah, 
base water was sort of like affiliated with them and yeah we, we played a few games against them as well but at the time you know i had my business um my wife's business that we you know a gift shop that we had together and i had my own business so it was just not too feasible, disruptive yeah you know? yeah yeah just i'm looking back you know it was a shame i couldn't couldn't go but you know that that was just the way it was and so that ties into our last conversation around the, the sacrifice that people have to make to be a player. And there's obviously no doubt you had what it took to, to become a, a professional player in the NSL, but there are other life's choices that you needed to make and that you weren't prepared mm-hmm. to, to sacrifice in order to follow your dream. And I, and I think you know, that's the difference between the, the, the professional mindset and the, and people that just enjoy playing the game, and there's there's nothing wrong with either choice. Could you imagine no. yeah. Renee right. going at the time at Adelaide City because yeah. there was uh, Alex Tobin there oh, at the yeah. time, and he was yeah. he was yeah. a big guy at the back there again. He's a fan. He's played for Australia. Uh, man, uh, man, no, sorry, I forget. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I remember he, Ivan uh, Manovich or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they had a really good backline. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, and they were the Socceroos uh, backline as and, well. So and just, right, yeah. And just before we finish up, the the crowds. What sort of crowds were you playing in front of back oh, in the early nineties? Um, it's hard to say. Four, five thousand sometimes. Early, early days, we had we had some really good support, but um, I would say probably, you know. Two or three thousand yeah. was a reasonable crowd, and then you would get some more on cup, you know, on cup days, and uh, yeah. especially uh, when you played a, against I mean, Italia. It was a reasonable crowd, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's right. I was always base body at first Italia. <laughs> yeah. I was always like, you know, that if, if if we lost the whole year and we won that game, then we were so happy. Okay. <laughs> some, some things never change, Renee. Look, thank you no, very right. much for, for your time and a little walk down memory lane. Yeah, thank great you, talking thank you to for you. your service to the game, and uh, best of luck for the future, mate. Thanks very much for having me on. Yeah. Thanks, thank Renee. You. Take care. Okay, sorry. Um, while you're there, yep. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Can I just bring something up? Sure. <laughs> Well, have you got time? Yeah. Because yeah. um, I, I just went through uh, an article because um, I was trying to find out when we almost won the league. And um, I found this piece of uh, uh, article where Swan uh, draws for Basewater and it cost Basewater dearly because we, we only had to win one game out of the last three. Yeah. Um, it's got to do something with Lou, you see. That's why. Oh, <laughs> my fault. Okay. That's it. A late controversial penalty proved costly to Bayswater. Um, <laughs> you set me up, you awarded by The penalty awarded by referee Lou Prospero after sweeper Rene de Koning handed the ball. <laughs> wow. That's so how he saw it. Ball. Yeah. Do you remember it, Lou? No. What year was that one, uh, Rene? A 96. Oh, so it was written by. It goes, on, it goes on. It goes on. A left base water coach Eric Williams shaking in his head in disbelief. <laughs> I thought it was a clear case of the ball striking the player accidentally, rather than him deliberately handling it. Oh, that's not. Yeah. How, that's Williams not how Louis saw it. Uh, hang, hang on a sec. Yeah. Was that uh, yeah. written by Mel Moffat? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Anyway. He was asked to leave the referee room after the game. That's why I thought you might have remembered it. No, no. The, the, listen, uh, I, I just 
I blew the whistle as I saw it, and at the end of the day, um, <laughs> Law 5 says that the referee's the opinion, decision is final. It says, in the opinion of the referee. Absolutely. And no matter how, wrong, right. that, and no matter how that wrong that is, Renee, that's the decision. Yeah. So, okay. uh, so, <laughs> so you had three – hang on, hang on, Renee. You had three chances to, to win the league. You left it that's to the last, right. last game. And Lou robbed yeah, you. And, and, I, and I get the blame. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Nice talking to you. Yeah, thanks, thanks Renee. Bye. Well, that oh, was a stitch up, wasn't it? Fancy <laughs> robbing them, Lou. Honestly, you know, how, how much did Football West pay to do that, or the SFA, or whoever it was in charge at the time, you know, because we all know it's a conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, you know, it used to, it, it's interesting you say that because sometimes it, a, a, a team will be cruising yeah. and then, um, in the last five, ten minutes, and, and you just see the era with Alex Ferguson with Manchester United, how many times did they win the game in the last five, ten minutes? Oh, no, they, 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 they renamed it Fergie time. Okay. Yeah. So what did that mean? That yeah. his team was always fit, yeah. you know, because the, the last ten minutes the fitness starts to, to lack and then they get over the top of the opposition. So. Yeah. It used to happen that you, you see a team that have control most of the game in the last 10 minutes, and I used to hate, hate the last 10 minutes of the game, especially if something like that would happen, something controversial, and you put on the spot, you're going to make a decision either way. So you anyway, can, I can unfortunately for that day, I it went against Renee. I can guarantee you in any game, any country, anywhere in the world, any referee makes a decision in the last minute of a game it's controversial. Yeah. No matter even if it's nailed on, even if like it's two footed in the throat, it will be a controversial decision. And and don't forget, they had had the other nine minutes to score, but yeah, yeah, because that one second, yeah, it's no, a referee's fault. You know? Exactly. And and that's part of being a ref, I guess. All right, we'll talk about part of being a ref. There's several referees on on show today in the MPL. Um, do we have the, the fixtures handy? Yeah, I'll get them up for yeah, you. Yeah, because um, you know as we're having a bit of a referees theme today, so yeah. You know, so we've got Bayswater. Go, go down and watch some referees in action. <laughs> no, that's it. So we, yeah, we just want to watch the players. Um, so Bayswater is playing uh, Perth Glory Youth. Uh, then we've got Coburn and Sorrento. ECU Junlight are playing Armidale. Uh, Guelup Croatia against Florid Athena. That'll be an interesting game. It will be. Uh, Inglewood Perth Soccer Club. And Rockingham against uh, Balcata. So, interesting fixtures uh, this weekend, uh, Sean. Yeah, no, there's lots of good games there, but the the game there with Floriot seems like a very good one. Very different year for Perth Italia and Bayswater as well. I think Bayswater could do with Rene in the back line at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, and it's funny, isn't it, that um, at the start of the season, these clubs were hitting their straps and then. Wham, you know, COVID, COVID hits and COVID then, kicks in, and uh, the only team that's really performing as they did pre-COVID would be Grell Up. Yeah, and they've only just come up. So. And, and others that pre pre-COVID weren't doing so well are doing extraordinary well, like Armadale. So yeah, you know, I mean, they, they, if you want to go through the table, we've got Athena on top, yep. Kawasha second, Perth Glory uh, third. Coburn City, ECU Junlup, six is Armadale, yep. seven is Sorrento, Balcata is eighth, Inglewood is ninth, Bayswater is tenth, Perth Soccer Club is second last on 11, and Rockingham. So that is 
unbelievable. I know. Given that Perth had won the league last year. Yeah. No, absolutely. Look, it's um, COVID has changed everything. I was only saying to the wife last night. Um, you know, we're not going to, to Hawaii this year because of COVID. We normally go can't go because we can't afford it, but this year it's because of COVID. <laughs> <laughs> right, mate, we're we're going to go to a break now. We'll be back after this with Eddie Laddie. West Coast Futsal accommodates for players of all skill levels and ages. With four great locations around Perth, we have a time and a venue to suit anyone's busy week. From social men's, women's or mixed games to A-grade competition, we've got you covered. Games are played night and day, indoor and outdoor, all year round. So grab five mates and come down for a game today. Oh, give me land, lots of land under starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Auswest Fencing and Rotiron. Are you looking to build or replace your gates or fencing? The Auswest team can offer four generations of advice, materials and kit assemblies for your unique fence and gate project. We specialise in colour bond, aluminium, steel and timber gates. Check out our galleries at auswestfencing.com.au That's A-U-S-W-E-S-T fencing.com.au Please Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM all right, let's go with our recurrent theme of referees. Today, some referees in action in uh, Divi 1 as well, though. Yes, we've got uh, the uh, fixtures Forestfield against Junlup United. Oh, that's a good game. Yeah, and that's at Hartfield Park. Yep, uh, Hartfield Park. Yep, we've got uh, Fremantle City against Ashfield. No yep. comment there. Okay. No. <laughs> Sterling Lions. Sterling Lions Olympic. Now, wow, that's... Uh, that's been a rivalry that's been around for many a year. Uh, we've got Western Knights against Subiaco, uh, Swan United against uh, Mantra City, and UWA Netherlands against um, Queens. So that uh, Queens is working its way up the ladder as well. So just quickly look at the ladder. Western Knights up top, Forestfield yep. second, Queens third. Yep. Then we've got Fremantle, UWA, UWA Mig. Table, that's pretty good for them. Uh, Kings Olympic Kingsway, Junlup United, Sterling 8th. That's a shock. Uh, we're looking at Mandra City, Asheville 10th, Subiaco, and then Swan United. So, yeah, it's some really crucial games happening today in that league. Yeah, it looks like a very different years, different strategies in play, different... Um Clubs have gone different directions. I know UWA have always gone down a very young line. Um, Ashfield have done that again this year. Um, so, yeah, it's just different. I mean, Western Knights are just quality. Forestfield are, are basically the side that they had last year with a few additions uh, and a very good outfit. Now, they're all building for next year, which looks like it's going to be a good year should we get one away. 
But, you know, there, there'll be a controversial decision in the last minute, I'm oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one man who's never made a contra- controversial decision is joining us now in Eddie Lenny. Good morning, Eddie. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine, thank you. Well, you need to ask Eddie Thompson about that. It was also a penalty decision with uh, Graham Arnold, if you recall, Eddie. Uh, no, I can't recall that, Lou. <laughs> <laughs> that was a Socceroos game as well. Eddie, it's great to have you on board. Um, thanks for coming on today. Um, you know, the postponement of the uh, Tokyo Olympics, obviously it's um, not only affects the participants as the athletes, but also the officials because um, you had officiated in Atlanta in the USA. Um what what is it like a build up for the the officials to go to an Olympics? Yeah, look the uh, the, the referees, the, the match officials, they, they put an enormous amount of work into preparing for all these big tournaments as well as the, as the athletes do, uh, and uh, so so they uh, they have to prepare uh, years in advance as well uh, before they get selected. So it's a big thing for them for for the postponement of the uh, the Olympics. And I'm sure they'll have to go through all that again to to then prepare for next year, 2021, when hopefully they can they can get it off the the, the mark. Because they could actually lose by not going there if their form has changed within that year, correct? Yeah, look, we, we probably we have a, we make a list of the uh, the potentials who who will go, and uh, and obviously we'll we'll have to sort of reevaluate those that list that candidates list uh, for next year uh, based on what they're currently doing and uh, if they are uh, injury-free for that matter. Yeah. So uh, it's a big thing for, for those guys as well and, and girls uh, and with the Olympics. And with COVID, um, obviously like the WNPL is is um, away in, here, in WA, but over in Victoria, all football now for the rest of this season is done. Um, so not just players who are not playing, there's referees not refereeing. Um, and COVID across the, the world has had the same effect on other leagues and other people. It's very, I think, you know, we, we talk about the here and now, but going forward, COVID's going to have a massive knock-on effect. Yeah, look, I think uh, football in general will be very different in uh, 2021 uh, whenever it gets back to... Uh, Starting again and things like that, yeah. And we've got to fuel for our colleagues and uh, our member federation over there in, in Victoria. Uh, they've had to cancel all their games, as you know. Yep. And uh, look, I think we've got uh, a, a bit more to run in this uh, COVID than we uh, we may expect. So. And there's there's repercussions. I mean, locally, um, we have a job filling um, referee spots. I know we've been joking today about the the referees in the state league, but I know last week we we had only had a referee for the 18s. I think one referee for the reserve team game, and then obviously the full three for the the first team game. But that's unusual. Uh, across the entire league, and most people are complaining about the lack of officials. Um, and COVID has obviously affected referees as much as it has players. Yeah, look, I, I think uh, we've we've had a, a drop on the number of, of referees that, that that's came back from the uh, the start of the or the restart of the, uh, the season. Uh, I don't know the numbers. But, uh, but I'm sure that uh, Football West is doing their very best to try and get at least one match official 
for uh, for every game, oh, that, especially yeah. in the in the eighteens and stuff like that, and and then the Sunday leagues as well. So uh, yeah, it's, it's difficult. You can only uh, work with the numbers that you've got, and uh, and I know clubs will uh, will moan, well, why didn't I get the referee?" And yeah. those guys got two referees at their venue. And Nothing's like changed. So there's a lot of things to take into consideration. So you're coming out of retirement, Eddie. Uh, no, I'm quite <laughs> What's happening with the A League? Well, we were talking earlier today about with Jacob Burns about players being locked up um, in the uh, the uh, hotel and the just hub, going yeah. from in, within the hub. Is it the same for the officials that they got to stay within the hub, or they're freely moving from state to state? Yeah, look in the uh, the A League at the moment, we uh, we had uh, four officials, uh, three officials. Uh, in a in a hub in Sydney, uh, Chris Bead, Ali Raza, and Alex King, uh, and they're all from Queensland. So they've been in New South Wales for the past uh, four weeks. Uh, but uh, Chris and Ali, they've gone back to Queensland because they closed their borders as of last night, I think. So they've been yep. back for a week before the borders closed, and then they'll come back to Sydney maybe in a week's time to then take up the games. Uh, going forward from then, but yeah, so th- those guys are have, having to live with each other for the for the past well six weeks that they have been. So it's just a, a it's a it's a same hub for them as it is for the players. They're away from their families yep. and friends for that amount of time. And people don't realise also, Eddie, that you know there is competitiveness amongst referees to get to the top of their um, careers as well. Uh, Give us a little bit of insight, you know, with, with yourself going to a World Cup, um, how hard and dedicated the work is to, to get there. Well, I mean, uh, you, you're competing against the best in your own country to try and uh, get a gig at one of these tournaments to be the best in the world. and that. So uh, a lot of hard work and effort and dedication is needed to do that. So uh, just enough is not good enough. Uh, you have to be the best and the amount of work that you have to put in, the extra training hours you have to do, the uh, lucky that if you can get time away from your work to do all these things as well. Remember, refereeing is, is not a full-time job for a lot of people. Yeah, it's uh, part-time, uh, yeah. It wasn't a full-time job for me when I was going through the uh, my career. Yeah. We do have some full-time referees now and, and mostly those are, the, those are the ones that get considered for the bigger tournament. Yeah. Uh, but there's countries that don't have full-time referees that uh, have to rely on the dedication and commitment of those volunteers to go and do that. Well, in 98, you went to the World Cup in France and, you know, and the measure of a referee at tournaments like that is how many games you get. Now, Eddie um, actually got two games in the World Cup. Yeah. And being, as he just said, he was a part-time referee. That yep. spoke volumes against the European referees and um, that he had to, and, and South American referees for that matter, who were um, pretty much professionals at that time. To get to two games, Eddie, that was a, a real feather in your cap. Yeah, look, uh, for the World Cup in France in 98, we, uh, all the referees, the 32 referees that were there, they, uh, they were told you were all guaranteed one game doesn't matter who you were, you were all guaranteed one game, and depending on that game, if you got another one, and things like that. And I was fortunate I was kept on to get another 
another game, as you said, but uh, some referees only got the one game and went home. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed and my time there. Looking in, into I your crystal... some great people there. Yeah. Looking into your crystal ball for the future, you, know, you said the game's going to be very different. And I know that, um, you know, a lot of the bodies have, have restructured and, you know, you've obviously been part of that restructure. Um, the the referees' bodies also are looking at restructuring. Do you think that the the referee's body should be independent or do you think the referee's body should should be reporting to the, the state agency? Well, as I said, uh, I think football will change dramatically in, in, in the near future in terms of the, uh, especially at FFA level where the, uh, there needs to be a new model. Uh, we, we go down this path of there's the, there's the elite side of the game and then there's the community side of the game. And I think the community side of the game is paying an awful lot of money to keep the elite side of the game going yep. and stuff like that. And, and referees need to be part of both those areas in the elite side and the community side. For the referees to go out on their own would be difficult because I don't think they have that financial support to do that. So they have to be part of a federation or a organisation who's running the game for mm. both sides of football. And the, uh, and, and the quicker we can get to supporting the community side of football, the better football will be in this country. Oh, look, I think the grassroots stuff is, is where it all happens. And, you know, you, you hear of, of 16-year-olds and 15-year-olds coaching or coaching refereeing games, which is great. Um, and some of those will go on to be professional referees, hopefully. Um, but most of them will become grassroots referees and they'll be refereeing kids' games, um, Sunday amateurs, veterans' games as, as they go along. And, you know, I talk to kids about the the jobs that they're doing. Some of them are flipping burgers at all hours of the night. And if they're playing in the state league on a Saturday, they could take up refereeing on a Sunday and probably make more money um, doing that than they would do flipping burgers every evening. But we're also uh, just touching on that, Sean, you know, what about development of referees? You oh, know, yeah. The, the thing is, everybody talks about the controversial decisions and what have you. Well, but what, what about the education and development of referees? And and let's tie that into now we've got the home of football. I think the home of football should be somewhere where not only do we look at um, elite footballers, but we look at educating and promoting the development of referees and also club administrators. And I don't think we should just stop at... at players being the be-all and end-all, it needs to be everything. It needs to be players, referees and administrators. And, you know, clubs complaining, as, you know, Eddie was alluding yeah. to earlier, about having not having enough referees. Yeah. Well, you know... Each club should be told they're going to have club referees. Yeah, yeah. And, and they've got to have a certain amount, but not only just club referees, but also go and learn what the laws of the games are. True. And that's what's yeah. important. And, Eddie, you were involved in Football West in doing that, in developing referees. Yeah, when I was, when I was at Football West, the, uh, we, we, recruit, we put a recruitment um, programme in place, uh, respect programme in place, and things like that, where we, we, we uh, encouraged clubs to get their uh, 15 and 16-year-olds that were playing uh, to also... Uh, become a referee and referee they're, they're under 12s or 13s through the club and things like that 
and uh, and that's been successful. Uh, and that's statewide too, uh, Eddie. People forget about yeah. the regional areas, but you know, yeah. you you guys were recruiting and developing in the regional areas, and, and most of them are covered now, aren't they? Those games in the regions. Yeah, look, the uh, football West still has the, uh, the the referee development officer. It's Frank, you know, Frank uh, Moretti. He goes yep. around to the regions and uh, helping to uh, educate, develop, and train and recruit referees for those different regions and we have uh, I think from my last number that I knew we had about 120 referees in the regions which was uh, which was a, a big increase from previous years the uh, so yeah we need to recruit more referees as you said there's games going without uh, officials uh, somewhere along the line so we need to recruit more referees and the clubs could help in that matter by putting forward some of their players to uh, to go on and uh, do the course, and then uh, become a referee. I used to play football. I wasn't very good at football, so that's why I became a referee. So, uh, <laughs> you weren't the only one. <laughs> no. well. uh, I wasn't very good at it, but I still persisted. <laughs> <laughs> and um, did you have a referee, Sean? I did, yeah. <laughs> okay. um, and I, Do you know how I knew I was doing a good job? Both sides hated me. <laughs> And I think well, we must have been excellent then. <laughs> no, but I think when you look at it, you you know there there's a lot of things, and, and culturally, I suppose this is one of the things we need to change. And you know, we've run respect campaigns, we've we've run a lot of different campaigns. Um, I go to state league games every Saturday during the season, and I still hear the mob mentality every time a player falls over or there's a, a, a what I would determine as a, as a old-fashioned defender, a good challenge. There's all these shouts, oi, 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 and, you know, they're, they're screaming and demanding the referee make decisions. And then when he doesn't go their way, the, the language is appalling. And it, it, we just need to scrub that out of the game. I don't know how we do it, but I, I don't know why anyone in their right mind would go, oh, I'll, I'll have some of that. I love being abused every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all about education, Sean. We yeah, need to educate exactly. the players. We need to educate the clubs. We need yeah. to educate the spectators yeah. about uh, everybody's involvement in the game. But there's there's opinions out there. And I, and I think, you know, when you look at the, the highest levels, um, EPL, even World Cups, where a referee makes a decision and then he, he's mobbed by about six of the, the world's greatest players around him in a very intimidatory conversation about his decision and it doesn't change anything but but nothing is there to detract from that and and really that's when you begin yeah you know, I, I, one of my own personal pet hates particularly as a defender is when a player gets a, a good challenge on him and then he rolls about five times and, and comes up waving an imaginary yellow card as a referee i'd feel you're absolutely right mate there's yours now go away don't do that again uh, but people go oh you can't do that because you'll end up rubbing out some of the stars of the game and i think these stars of the game that do this don't deserve the title yeah, I mean, absolutely, yeah, well, I mean, and it's big, biggest. They're role models for kids. Yeah, but Sean, what and Eddie, what what we as a, a code need to realise is that there's the biggest blight on our game. What you know, people call simulation or cheating, and I've said this many times. I to never call it simulating. I, I, I call it cheating. Yeah, and and, and you know, we've yeah. talked about this on this show many times that you know these people need to be punished big time. You know, you get rubbed out for four games, you simulate or you cheat. Four games. Yeah, you do, and if it's club or country, it doesn't matter. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. You do it the second time; it's eight games. You yeah. do it third time; it's twelve. You know that'll rub it out very, very quickly. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is, Eddie, 
as a former referee and myself, that I found it very eye-opening the first time I ever opened the book of the laws of the game. I just realised how much I didn't know the first time and Eddie alluded to people being educated. Yeah. I mean, that's the frustration, isn't it, Eddie? Yeah, it is, but the, uh, there's more resources now than there's ever been yeah. for for clubs and players uh, to go and and and, and spectators, yeah, uh, just just to just to go and have a look at them themselves. Because believe me, if, if as a player, if you know the laws of the game, which they all claim they do, but they don't, then uh, that actually helps you as a player if you know what the laws is as well. Yeah. And the, the, the thing is, as you know, in Law 5, you know, in the opinion of the referee now, five of us could be standing ex-referees, and it's happened. You know, we watched the FA Cup final together and one incident, and we got five different opinions from five referees who have refereed at the highest level, and that's what it really comes down to in the end. Yeah, look, it doesn't matter. Referees will still make mistakes, but hopefully they'll make less mistakes or few mistakes that result uh, that uh, results in a game being uh, overturned or, or anything like that. The uh, but the uh, I think the the, the figures show that uh, on average a referee gets ninety eight percent of decisions correct. Yeah. So there's not many decisions that they get incorrect, but when the ones that they do get incorrect. We hope that doesn't influence the result of the game. No, but I also think that the communication from the referee is is vital. You see, you see some that do it extremely well. You see some that do it very poorly. Um, Matthew Cheeseman, um, when I've watched him referee, his communication is great. He's had times when players have said to him, "You've you've got that wrong," and he's gone, "I made a mistake. Get over it." Um, and he's just carried on. And it's just you know that level of communication is good. But it's a communication, also experience yeah. and confidence. Yeah, of course. That's, yeah. I mean, the, the longer go on, sorry, Eddie. Yeah, so that, so Sean, that that was one of the things that when I was at Football West, we trying to encourage uh, a lot was the uh, the communications between the uh, the players and the ref. Uh, it's not a game of it's them against us, no, and things like that. We're all we're all members of the same family. We should all communicate. And the uh, and the way we do things, and and I think over the past couple of years, there's been better communication between the players and the referee uh, to maybe explain why they gave that decision and stuff like that. So it has changed a little bit, but obviously, the more communication you can get between the players and the referee on the field, the better it will become. Yes, and there's been decisions that Eddie and I have discussed that you know, it's either. I call it a yellow card. He may call it a red card, and then we compromise and call it a yellow card. Oh, absolutely. Uh, sorry, yeah. sorry, uh, orange card. And there's, there's you know, the, <laughs> in between both. The, the whole question of ball to hand, hand to ball, and you you've got a nanosecond. A ball's kicked at a player from you know a meter away, and you've got to decide whether or not his arms in a natural position or an unnatural position, and was he seeking an advantage? And you get next to no time to make that decision. And, and once it's made, it's made. And, and the and, angle that you've seen it. Yeah, and like you said, nine times out of ten, you're getting it right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Refer- refereeing is all about angles, as Louis will tell you. If yeah. you're not, in, if you don't have the right angle, you're not in the best position to see anything that's ha- happening. So. But it's pre- pretty hard when you've got a replay. You've got six different angles, <laughs> and all in slow mo. You don't have that opportunity. Yeah, but also then, I mean, we we talk about the um, 
the rules at the moment with offside and the um, the VAR. And I've quite I've noticed quite a lot in in games, even in the the grand final last year, that the camera is not in exactly the right position. No, exactly. And if you've got the Hollywood angle, yeah. then it can be on or off depending on where that camera is sighted and the parallax error and all of the other things that are involved. And that's why I like the goal line technology. The ball is either exactly in or exactly out. And it, yeah. it's, there is no arguing with that. But there, there's that's so where many, it should stop. There's so many things with the VAR. We have to I accept. I don't like the VAR. Well, I don't like the VAR because what it does is it takes the the decision making away the human from, side from of it. A, a a flawed human being who makes the best decision he can at that time with everything he had in in his possession to someone who's got multiple camera angles to make who is still again another flawed human being who then with some camera angles that aren't necessarily the best ones in the world having to make a decision and i've seen handball decisions given when the ball was on the wrong side of the the player and the camera and the referee has decided at that point on the var that a handball must have occurred so they've given it and you go how you you couldn't have told from that angle that for definite there was a handball. I'll tell you um, what, yeah. if, if Sydney FC had lost the grand final last yeah. year, that would have been agreed because it on on field, the assistant got it right, yeah. the VAR got it wrong. But then you go back to the grand final between Glory and um, and Brisbane where yes. that we are agreed. Because, because when you look yeah. at that camera angle, he took a step or two after the – Alleged, con- alleged contact and mm. then theatrically fell. I mean, for me, I don't know how you do it, Eddie, but the more theatrically a player falls, the more likely it is a simulation. <laughs> no, yeah, the, uh, the goal line technology has been a great success. Yeah. Where, it's, where it's getting used and uh, Undoubtedly. the introduction of VR. Yeah. Uh, look, at, it's got its pros and it's got its cons and, uh, and I still think we're getting used to uh, Getting used to it, yeah. But uh, guys, it's going to be here. It's going to be here to stay in, in major competitions. Uh, they're, they're not going to get rid of it anytime soon. So we, uh, I think it's just something that you're going to have to get used to. Oh yeah. And uh, and hopefully as as it goes as it progresses, it does get better. Uh, we do get better at getting the correct decision because at the end of the day, that's all we want to do is get the correct decision, whether it's by the referee on the field or whether it's by the VAR watching it off the field because it's important that the decision is correct. But yeah, Eddie, there but was time. The thing is, in an imperfect game, how can we ever get the perfect decision? You're not. Because that, that's the beauty of this game is it's not perfect. I mean, at least, you know, and Eddie would know, they trialled having two referees on, yeah. on the field, uh, which was a disaster because, again, yeah. it comes back down to the opinion of the referee. You get to agree. Then, you, then you got uh, the VAR, which is also, again, another. Well, there's, there's, four, there's four of them in the booth, isn't there, Eddie? So are they conversing with each other or just one makes a decision? No, no, there's one. The, the VAR, he's, he's in charge of uh, the whole system. So what are the other three there for? We have an assistant VAR who, uh, if, if the referee is, if the VAR who's actually reviewing a, a decision, then assistant VAR might still be watching the game if that's still going on. And the other two guys who are there, they're the uh, the operators of uh, the system, Hawkeye, the other guys who we say, okay, rewind that and things like that. They're not referees. Okay. So there's only two referees in, in, the, in the booth. Some at the, at the highest level, you might get a VAR, you'll get an assistant VAR, and you'll get an assistant assistant VAR and things like that. You may get three 
qualified referees at the highest level. But in the A League at the moment, we only get one referee and one assistant referee. The other two guys that are there, they're purely operators of the camera. So the assistant, does he talk to the uh, main VAR guy? Only only the VAR. Yeah, the assistant. The VAR is the only guy who's in communication with the three on-field officials. Okay. The assistant referee in the booth, he uh, he can talk to the VAR in the booth, but he doesn't talk to the... So so how does it work? Let's say, let's say there's a controversial handball uh, that led to a penalty and... Um, you got the two assistants on the field, the, the main referee on the field, then the VAR. They're all wired up, and they, are they looking at the screen together and making a decision together? No, no, no. Or no, the no, VAR no. guy saying, "Okay, my opinion is this," and then the main referee goes with him regardless, or he can yeah. overrule him. No, the, the main referee yeah. has the ultimate say. Mm. Yeah. yeah, the on-field on referee doesn't look at any 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 uh, TV coverage unless the VAR asked him to go and have a, 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 a on-field review. Right. So in, in that in that area, that decision you spoke about, if, if the referee hasn't seen the handball or he may be unsighted and, and the on-field officials can't help him either, mm-hmm. then uh, the VER will look at it anyway, whether they give it or they don't give it. The VER must, the protocol team must uh, review penalty area incidents. So he would review that as normal. Right. If he sees it as a handball and, and the other three on-field officials hasn't seen it, he would then tell the referee to stop the game mm-hmm. and to come and do an on-field review of what he's seen. Right. And then the referee would come to the side of the field, review exactly what the uh, the VAR is seeing on the TV, and then it's still the referee's decision, not the VAR, it's still the on-field referee's decision yep. to say yes, that's a penalty or no, that's not a penalty. But it'd be a very brave referee to come and view a TV footage to show clearly that he got it wrong, to then say, no, I'm staying with my own decision. Yeah. No handball. So yeah. I know, remember, but the VAR is there to help yeah. the referee. But I, I can remember last season, I think, or maybe even the start of this season, it's all blended into one now uh, in memory, but um, there was a goal scored by the glory. They went back through about four passages of play to when yeah. the player first won the ball, and it, was, it wasn't even a clear indication of a handball, but it was, there was enough to suggest that a handball, handball may have occurred. But we've gone back through three or four passages of play where that player's passed the ball, received it back, and a couple of dodgy challenges gone in that could, themselves could have been pinged. And we've gone, no, nah, four minutes ago when he got the ball, he handballed it. I mean, it's, <laughs> and that's the me, flaw that's just, of the game. That was just ludicrous. That's the flaw of it. And that, yeah. that's what I, I've always yeah. said to people, if you go to that extent, yeah. Just give the VAR the whole control of the game because it be, it becomes ridiculous. If, if it was the same passage yeah, Sean, of play, I would have said yes. Sean, yeah. in that, that game you're talking about, the uh, the glory game, uh, the, the protocol for the VAR was in an attacking phase, if it was a handball, then then it must come back. And that's why it came back to the yeah. four uh, phases before the goal was actually scored. Now, that's been changed in the yeah. last this year and things like that so it's only if the handball has an immediate effect yeah. not four passages of playing next to it and things yeah. like that so, I know. so they are tweaking these things they are changing yeah. these protocols as the game develops and uh, as the VR develops and things like that so and I think you know, look, at the end of the day 
the the game has always been controversial. I mean, twenty years on, Rene's still having a, a go at um, Louis for a decision that controversial decision <laughs> he made, and that's this is part of the game. And, and I suppose if it's, if nothing else, it adds another level of discussion, interest in the game, and again, people talking about the laws of the game and getting an understanding, which which is a good thing. Uh, and if they are tweaking it and making it better, and, and I've seen that the. The, the interpretation in the Women's World Cup was so much better than it was in the Men's World Cup. So if it grows like that, then great. But, you know, it, it is the game. We are controversial. We love controversy. We love our, con- our conspiracy theories that referees have been paid to make the decisions yeah. in games and pick certain players. And that's that's never going to change because that's where we are. We are extremely flawed human beings on the sidelines. And, and that's our job. But, you know... I think it does. It adds to the game. Um, yes, it, as much as it detracts, but I think it's uh, it's it's here to stay, as you say. We need to get used to it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you don't want to take the human factor away from the game. No, that in the uh, and no, if I did that, I'd, 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 I'd move to Germany. Be uh, be as only available in the highest level of competition. So when you're out there doing your NPL game or your uh, Sunday amateur game, or your junior yeah. football on, on a Saturday or Sunday, then uh, you'll still have that human factor of the referee. Of course. Getting the decision, yeah. stuff like that. All right, look, thank you very much for your game, uh, uh, your time and de- dedication to the game. I've never had a chance to talk to you about your Order of Australia medal, which I think, you know, is a massive achievement for, for yourself um, and what you've, you've done for the game and, and certainly through your involvement through Football West. Uh, and even a political career. I mean, you, is there anything you haven't done? Uh, but thank you for this morning. Okay, no worries. Thanks very much, guys, and enjoy the rest of the day. Will yeah, do. You too. Thanks, Eddie. Thank you. Bye. Cheers, mate. No, I'm just talking about the robotic approach to football. You know, we can build a robot that can referee, then, you know, we're lost, aren't we? Well, and look, that that's, I, I think, a factor that, you know, that... Why we have why the question is why have we gone to VAR? We have gone to VAR for the likes of a, an incident, a famous incident in Henri using his hand uh, to control the ball to drop it at his feet and put Absolutely. the goal past Yogi, Ireland Yogi. and knock him out of the yeah. World Cup. Now the, it's the, down the, to money. It's there's a lot of money in the game itself. There's a lot of money in the gambling on the game. There's a lot of money that um, clubs. Uh, rely on you know being being relegated from Premier League comes with a massive financial impost. Being in the Champions League or not in the Champions League is massive in your attraction and retention of players and the money that you can make out of it. It's, it all comes back down to dollar signs. Yeah, I mean, you were talking about Leeds earlier today. Yeah. You know, being promoted, how much is going to boost them cash wise? Yeah. How many players are going to retain yeah. in in that squad? Probably not a lot of them because they've gone up the league now. They want name players. So, well, you've, if, only, you've only got to look at clubs that didn't Norwich, and we're we're in Norwich now, and then you know you look at other Sunderland who did and. They're up top of the league, so yeah. you, you can't come from Championship into the Premier League with with just the same squad and expect to stay there, you have to bring in quality. Mm, mm. Anyway, yep. it, it, we can talk uh, controversy all the way, but yeah. we got to get rid of the cheating in our game. Yeah. That's number one. So some controversial refereeing going to be in the uh, the State League Division 2 this, this week? Always. Yeah. I mean, the human beings. Have we got the fixtures? 
<laughs> State League Two. Oh, State League Two. Yeah, Sorry, and, and then you, we'll, know, you caught me on the hop. Yeah, now. no, I did. That's that's my job. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think look, we, as Eddie quite rightly says, the VAR is here to stay forever. Nothing we will do will change that, and that's just the way things are. Um, and we need to to just get on board and just go. Right, look, it's there. If I don't like it, I don't like it. That's my problem, yeah. and and I can own that one. But um, you know, at the end of the day. It's there forever. Yeah. All right. Okay, so the games we got today in Divi 2, we've got Karamar Shamrock Rovers against uh, Canning City, uh, Murdoch Uni uh, Melville against uh, Gosnell Cities. We've got Wanneroo City versus Curtin University, Morley Windmills, wow, a well-known club, Junlup City. Uh, then we've got Kingsley Westside Football Club against Balga and then Dinella White Eagles against Kelmscott. There's some good names and old names and, and some very new clubs there with the Karamar Shamrock and the um, Kingsley Westside, um, the new boys coming in and, you know. Doing their bit. And doing their bit and, and the times they are changing. I think, you know, the a lot of these organisations are going to challenge the, the established clubs and, and post-COVID. Well, they are. I mean, Kingsley, Kingsley Westside yeah. is second on the league, Wanneroo's first. And post-COVID, who knows who's going to survive? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. All right, we're going to go to a break and we're back after this with Richard Thomas. Do you want better strata management? Put Prosperity Strata Management at the top of your list. We provide a flat competitive fee with no extra or hidden charges. We provide value for money repairs with contractor prices reviewed regularly. And we provide prompt professional service with 30 years experience, which is why our clients recommend us. Your property is our concern. See prosperitystratamanagement.com.au Station Sponsor. Hi, I'm Louis Prospero, Chair of the Football Hall of Fame Western Australia. We're the first sporting Hall of Fame formed in Australia in 1996. The Hall of Fame recognises outstanding individuals in football in Western Australia. Join legends such as Sandra Brecknell, Julius Reed and Gareth Navin at our next Hall of Fame event to celebrate 25 years coming up in 2021. Find us on Facebook and on the web as the Football Hall of Fame Western Australia keep up to date with events and regular stories from our team of journalists and committee members. The Football Hall of Fame Western Australia, recognising the Western Australia football community. listening to Radio Fremantle 107.9. And there we go. Nice female introduction for the WMPL fixtures, Lou. Yeah, um, now they're playing tomorrow. Yeah. And we've got uh, Port Kennedy versus UWA. And then we've got Gwellup Croatia against Perth. Now that'll be an interesting game. We've got Sorrento versus Gosnell City. Balga and versus South West Phoenix, which they're on top of the league, Sean. Yeah. Then we've got ECU Joondal up against Sterling Lions and Mandra City against Armadale. So some, uh, again, very important fixtures that are going on there. And Southwest Phoenix are on top, UWA second, Sorrento third, 
ECU, Junilup, Forth, Perth, Armadale, Mandra, Port Kennedy, Sterling Lines, Balga, Grillup, Croatia, and Gosnells. And that's the WMPL, is it? It is, yeah. Okay. No worries. Um, online now joins uh, us is Thomas Richards. Thomas, good morning. How are you? Very good. Thank you, Phil. Good morning, Lou. Good, good morning. morning. <laughs> um, Fremantle have a very good history of developing uh, female footballers. You've been uh, a powerhouse in, in the Women's State League for a number of years. Um, you now in the WMPL, the, the inaugural women's competition. Um, how different has that been for you? Um, I guess for us, um, this season in particular, what's been different is, um, I imagine after the, um, the night series, uh, we became a bit the, the team to beat. Um, yeah. well, I guess over the last couple of years, we've been a bit of uh, the underdog. Uh, so yeah, something's been new to, for us, uh, from, from yours as well. Um, so I guess, yes, it took a bit of time to, uh, to adjust to that. And the night series was, was before COVID kicked in, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. So. COVID, did that make a, a big difference to you? Were there, there are players that you had and recruited who no longer with you or have got other priorities or is there just the, the break hasn't really done you any favours? Say that again. I'm, I'm sorry, sir, I can't hear you very well. Can you uh, repeat that, please? Did you, did you lose players over the COVID or has the, the COVID just interrupted what was a, a good vibe at the yeah, time? It was just, no, it was just an interruption. We did not uh, lose any, any players. Okay. Very we lucky with that. And um, I suppose another difference, and one of our listeners has, has raised it, is that you've, up until this season, had a very successful um, formula. You've, you've had a very um, set, Strategy and, and team lineup. You, you've changed your your on field um, lineup and the, the way you, you play the game. Is that obviously it was a deliberate? Yeah, that's, yeah. There, there, there is elements of this. I think. Um, um, I think uh, after the couple of few games we had, that were, but they were disappointing. I guess in terms of, of results, I'm, I guess I myself reflected a bit. And um, yeah, we had new players, and I've tried. I've tried to to, to uh, change a bit the formation, uh, implement new ideas, and maybe maybe partly at the expense of, of what uh, our fundamentals and strengths um, were. Yeah, uh, maybe I underestimated. You know, the time it takes for for new players uh, to to come into a new team, gel, and uh, and build and build that chemistry. Um, yeah, it's also something. Yeah, we're trying to go back to to those fundamentals. Yeah, look, I, I think when you look at those those things, like the chemistry of a team, it's it's like an um, alchemy. Uh, sometimes you get some good players together, and and they just can't play together. Look at Pogba at Manchester United, um, and then other times you just get a team like Wimbledon, who are just the crazy gang, but they all played together for each other, and because of that became powerful. But that's not something that was planned or, or put in there by the coach. No, true, true. But the, the other thing also we have to put in perspective, I think a lot of the team between the night series and, and, and today have, have strengthened a lot. They've improved a lot. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe maybe I, I also, again, you know, miss, probably didn't prepare maybe the team well enough to, to you know, the Perth or NTC where we uh, would probably look look at us as the team to beat uh, for the night series and they will come strong at us. Um, so, so we also have to give credit to, to the opposition, you know. I think they were... Oh, they absolutely. Were and then there um, were... There were unknown teams like Curtin that, that 
came in and, you know, even mum has significantly changed from the, the mum that played in the, the State League. True, true. There was strengthened by a lot of players. So, yeah. And I, I guess the, the, the new league has led, you know, um, led to the talent uh, across the league to be probably more spread evenly, which is really a great thing, I think, for, for the league as, as a whole. Oh, no, definitely. I think the the league, I suppose that's the other difference is that um, with your experience in, in state league, um, is is the WNPL um, significantly better? Is it faster, stronger, more technical? Um, what What's the major differences between... Um, yeah... I would not say it's stronger, more technical. I would just say it's it's currently more more heavenly um, heavenly spread. That that makes a big difference. So every weekend you've got a, a very strong game at hand. Um, I guess the fact also that the the, the season was interrupted, you know, by the COVID break, maybe maybe also changed a bit the dynamic. You know, you you end up starting your games in the middle of the winter. You have none of those uh, games being played during the still the the hot the hot weekends. Um, yes. And I guess the fact that there's a coverage, you know, the, the YouTube, uh, Facebook coverage and change a lot of the dynamic. I think the, the, the girls themselves look, uh, you know, at, at the exposure or the fact that they're, you know, they'll be on TV in a sense on, on YouTube, on Facebook. Um, I was looking at some of the games lately. I said some of the games, two to three thousand people, you know, just, just, uh, logged in and then watched the game. So I think that changed, that changed the, uh, the flavor that the league, that the league has. And and does that help you as a coach? I mean, obviously you watch the other teams playing on that footage, um, and does that give you an insight into their strategies and 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 a better means of doing your tactical approach to the game? Yes, it does. I guess it does. Although you know, we if you can see now, there's a lot of the teams have there those those um, those cameras that give you more give you more of a, an overall overview of the pitch. Yeah. So we still we still videotape this because you can see the, the entire pitch rather than um, the camera on Facebook or YouTube. They, they focus very much on the ball. Yes. So sometimes if you want to look at team organization, you still rely a lot on those. Uh, yeah. Oh, look, absolutely. I I sit at the uh, one of the ends of the ground in in the glory games just because of family situations. But uh, if I ever went to a game on my own. I'd go high up in in the Big East stand there and and look at the the game from a top down approach because you you see the structure you see how how teams keep their shape and and what it takes to keep shape and how quickly they can regain shape and it's it's a, just an interesting view the the top down view. Exactly yes, and I, I was looking at um I, I know that um I was looking at some of uh, what Belgium and then France were doing um in preparation to the World Cup. Yeah. They, they, a lot of the video review is these videos that are taken about. Um, hundred meters above above the pitch, so yes. you have an entire view of the pitch. You you see every player's moving as as eleven. You know you can see organization um, uh, of of your team and the opposition. Yeah, it's interesting that you know uh, some coaches get banished from the sideline and they they put up in the stands, and I think they should be there anyway. <laughs> it's, an, it's an advantage. Yeah, and they they should be you know um, phoning or talking. Uh, in actual fact, Mitch Davray. Uh, when they won the league, the glory. He was. He never came down the silo. He used to communicate to the guys with changes or whatever or instructions. So, yeah, yeah I think it's a better view. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, we'll talk about the the football side of it, and and traditionally, you know, the the state league was like a very amateurish kind of competition. I don't mean that in a poor way. It was an amateur competition. Is the is there now that you're in the WNPL, um, like the, the, the Fremantle State League side, is there more an um use of sports science? Are are you using um 
the, the sports science is to improve performance? Yes, yes. So we, uh, the, the, the way we have actually, we started about two years ago. Uh, with the collaboration with, with Notre Dame, the sports yeah. science, uh, um, sports physiology uh, department. Um, yeah. So we, in the first instance, we had a, a PhD student. Uh, he was working on strength and conditioning for, yes. for soccer players. So he did some of his research with, with our players. Uh, and that's where we actually started initiating all our strengthening program. Mm-hmm. Right now we're getting um, regular, probably three, four prac students uh, in, in, in a year helping yep. uh, implementing your programs. And we're trying to establish uh, a long-term collaboration. And um, yeah, well, and the main idea we try. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. And, and your state lead coach um, Cameron Lord is himself of a sports science background, so he'd be a great uh, attribute and resource to have in the club. True. Very true. Yes. Yes. You're talking about the main side. Yes, he's yes. true. He himself, he, he himself did a PhD, I think, in, in sports. Yes, science. he did. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, look, at, and I think... Trying one of, yeah. yeah, go on. A, a lot of the work we're also trying to do at uh, Fremantle is, is, is all... Not, the idea is not only for the first team or the under-23 to, to benefit from all of this, but uh, how can we spread, even if we have to downscale it, how can we spread this to the junior, you know, yes. uh, in terms of uh, injury prevention, uh, nutrition, yeah. preparation to gain, strengthening even, you know, for under-18, under-16. So, we, we, yeah, we're trying to restructure a bit the way we work around. around and, and particularly for young girls, because obviously um, a lot of people think that um, girl football players are exactly the same as boys, and they're not. They've, they develop physically at a very different time. Mentally is a, at a very different time, and their physiology is different. And I think, you know, we, we can't teach and have girls doing exactly the same strength conditioning as boys. But you see, even at the, the highest level in the Matildas, there's a lot of soft tissue injuries and particularly injuries around hips and knees for girls. So is yep. that something you, you look at in the way you coach and train the juniors so that when they become seniors, they, they stay fitter for longer? Because for a professional outfit, they are your biggest asset. Exactly, yes. So we, we're trying to implement a lot of program around mobility yep. and agility. And actually, uh, we try to bring someone to, to tune that work to, 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 to girls and, and women because, as you said, um, the growth spurt took place at a different time. Um, their, their, their body shape is, is different. Their hips and, and knee alignment are different. So we need to take all those things in consideration to, to, yeah, to, yeah. to, to do a better job. Yeah, all things I've noticed are older age groups, but, um, yeah, they are very, very different. And I think, we, you know, the, whilst we're trying to establish a professional setup for for women and a women, a women's pathway, a girl's pathway, it has to be down a professional line where the the health and welfare of the player is is the most important thing. And then, as far as development goes, the the development of the skills, and ultimately, then the right results will happen. Exactly. Yes, and I would say the the the, the player should be at the centre of everything we do. From, from well-being, welfare, football, everything should be around around the players. I would say from from the junior even to the to the first team, because eventually we want to help players to develop and you know come into the um, the glory or the Matildas. This is, yeah. this is the ultimate goal, I guess. Now, looking at your games from the, from the TV angle and not the coach's angle, um, I, I still watch the um, the EPL with the the crowd noise off because uh, I love it. But um, watching the, your games, whilst the, the results haven't gone your way. 
You're not far off. You, you've been unfortunate in a couple of areas, um, a couple of bits of poor decision making one way or the other, and you could have won those games. Um, so how, how do you approach tomorrow's game and what's your, your key motivators or key points to, to win tomorrow's game? Yeah. So I, I guess, yeah, I, we had the same, the same feeling. So the, the game against, I guess, Perth and then Redback, we, we yeah. thought, we thought we, 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 it deserves a bit better, but I think at this level is is all about details, you know. And um, um, it's, it's really about details. The games against Redback, you, you can look at it. It's really about details. even the first game. And I think this is yep. this is where, as a team, we have we have to grow. And then me, me as as a coach, you know, which is what I was mentioning. Um, maybe there's all those little details that probably did not prepare enough. Um, so so it's, it's, we have to to be more professional in those regards. All those little details, mental preparation, those, those, all those little one percenters, all, all those things that are so important. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, but we have, we have to look forward. The game against NTC was was against a different uh, ball game. I think they were just we did not really turn up, and yeah. they are just an exceptional squad. Yeah, uh, absolutely, and, and so they fantastic. should be. Yeah, yeah. All right, so um, just, um, our time is is running away from us. So, um, yeah, your prediction for tomorrow's game? Uh, we had our game yesterday oh, evening. Sorry, I didn't know. Okay, how did you go? Oh, we, we 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 did we did well. We played against uh, Shibiako, so the, yep. the girls the girls were very nervous because they felt like they were, we needed a result in the sense. Yep. So we were a bit nervous, but, but they pulled out a, a, a good win. Oh, great! Uh, so that, uh, Congratulations that, for the moral. Thank you, <laughs> the girls do everything. Um, so you got a job for yeah. another week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Thomas. Look, thank you very much for your time. Best of luck for the rest of the season. I think now you've got a win under your belt, and and you know you, you can string another one together. Then you're on your way, and you should be uh, one of the teams to beat this season again. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time, man. Huh? Thank you. Okay, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Have a nice day, um, Lou and, you, you and too. Phil. Thanks. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Keeps calling me Phil. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, look, that's been the show. Um, thank you for listening. Um, interesting show. Yep. <coughs> Sean, just before we go, yep. um, on uh, Friday the 21st of August, yep. Perth Soccer Club is having a business luncheon with Rita Safiotti, the Minister for Transport and Planning. Yep. Now, the idea of the luncheon is people who have a business to come along and do some networking, especially uh, small businesses who have been hit hard by COVID. Here's a great opportunity for you to mix with other businesses. So where do we find so, out about the, the tickets and you, prices? And Yep, you go to the Perth Soccer Club uh, either website or yep. Facebook page and that information is all there. Um, but, yeah, like I say, great opportunity for people to do some networking and uh, help uh, them to uh, recover from COVID. Absolutely. No, look, well worth following. Um, thanks to everybody, our guests that have been on the show and for you, Lou, for being here. Penny is back with the show next week. Um, and just remember, for everybody that out there, Rod Banjack has been laid to rest on Monday. Um, I know the football family are mourning the loss, but it um, be nice to see the big guy go with a, a good turnout. Yeah, yeah and he deserves it too. All right, that's been me for this week. Thank you for listening. Uh, the show will be back next week. Um, thank you for listening. Join us again next week at the same time for the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM.